The Bible Study Podcast, episode 33. Today, the Bible Study Podcast looks at Numbers 13. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. This is going to be the sixth part of the story about Exodus, although this one won't come from the book of Exodus, but will instead come from the book of Numbers. And specifically, I'm skipping ahead to Numbers 13. I'm skipping the whole book of Leviticus and the end of Exodus and the beginning of Numbers. I'll let you go read those on your own. They're going to have a lot to do with law. Leviticus is going to be a law book that's going to tell you things about the punishment for various crimes. It's going to say things like which offerings are going to be set up for what things. It's going to talk about the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur. It's going to talk about how big to make the tabernacle. Lots of very detail-oriented information that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses to lay out their society. And so he really is taking these slaves and turning them into a nation, and he's laying out how they're supposed to behave, and he's laying out what their sacrifices will be to God and all these sort of things. Skipping ahead, after all of that, the people finally come to the Promised Land, and they come to the Promised Land in chapter 13 of Numbers, and the first thing they do is they decide to send some men to explore the land. So let me pick that up from Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And I'm going to skip over a series of names and jump down to Verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore the land, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of forty days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites lived near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take the possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim, which we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. 
and continuing on into Numbers 14. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We shall choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathering there. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So here's the situation. It's about a year after God used signs and wonders to get Israel out of Egypt. Through the Red Sea, been guiding them through the desert, been giving them the law, the Ten Commandments, all these instructions, finally gets them within sight of the Promised Land. And before they go in, they send in these spies. And they're actually told by God to send the spies ahead of time. Send in 12 spies. Ten of them come back and say... It's a really good land, it's full of milk and honey, it's full of fruit, and we shouldn't go there because the cities are strong and the people are big. And two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, come back and say, well, all that's true, but it doesn't really matter. If God is with us, then we should go. If God is with us, then it doesn't matter how big they are and it doesn't matter how strong the cities are. So it wasn't that they disagreed with the other spies, They just found that information to be of no use. They knew that they had been led by God to this point, that God had basically promised this land to Abraham hundreds of years ago, leading to this day, and on this day, with God still leading them by a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud by night, what mattered to them is, does God want us to go in? If he does, we should. And if God doesn't want us to go in, then we shouldn't. But clearly, God has brought us here to go in. And therefore, it does not matter how big the obstacles are. But the people don't listen. The people basically say once again, Why did you bring us out of Egypt? We just brought us out here to die. This time, we're actually going to rebel. We're going to appoint a new leader, and we're going to go home. Where home is Egypt. It's interesting that with as difficult as it was to get Israel out of Egypt, with the ten plagues and all of that that went on and the passing through the Red Sea, that was the easy part. The hardest part is to get Egypt out of Israel. To get this notion that that is home out of them. They're standing here, they're looking at home, but they don't see it. They're standing here and they only see, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. It's interesting. I think for us it's the same sort of thing. It's easy to be saved. It's harder to be changed. And that's what they were. These people were saved from Egypt. They were saved through the Red Sea. God had preserved them. They were saved. And yet, this whole generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, are about to be forbidden to enter the promised land. 
this whole generation, everybody who's of the age of accountability, who's not a child, at this point is going to be told in the next chapter, that's it, that's it, we're done. You're staying in the desert. And they're going to change their mind and say, well, no, if that's the case, then let's go in and let's attack. And sure enough, they were right. The ten spies were right. They were not big enough. They were not strong enough to defeat these people if they go in without God, which is what they try and do in the next chapter. So it wasn't that the things that the spies told them wasn't true. They weren't strong enough. They weren't powerful enough. The people were too big. The cities were too strong. It's just that that wasn't the question. They didn't get what Joshua and Caleb got, which is, the question is, is this what God wants us to do? If he wants us to do it, he'll be with us and we'll succeed. So the two things I think we can pull out of this story is, one is, change is the harder part. Being saved is easy. How many of us, I think, still want to live that old life We've passed through the waters of baptism like the people of Israel passed through the Red Sea. In Romans, we learn that that is symbolic of death. And really, at that point, they're supposed to have died to that old life in Egypt, like Caleb and Joshua do, and reborn as people of Israel. But they're still lugging Egypt with them in their hearts. Change is hard. And I think the second thing is that we often, I think, fear the wrong thing. We often don't get that the fact that we're afraid of what God is calling us to do, but God is calling us to do what's best for us. God is leading them into a land of milk and honey that they lose out on because they don't follow. I think of the old joke that Jerry Seinfeld talks about people according to an old study here, are more afraid of public speaking than of death. And so if you go to a funeral there, people would be more comfortable being in the box than the person who has to give the eulogy. Sometimes we fear the wrong things. My church did a retreat this weekend on if on John Ortberg's book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, and talked about overcoming that fear of the wind and the waves which are crashing as Peter is called by Jesus to get out and walk on the water. And I think that's the same call that's going on here is, yes, the the obstacles are big, but trust God. Yes, the cities are fortified, but trust God. Whatever God is calling us to do, he is faithful and capable and powerful enough to see us through. And with that, we'll bring this episode of the Bible Study Podcast to a close. If you have any comments, feel free to send them to me at host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. The best and the brightest, served up daily by the sharpest minds in content delivery, Podshow and Limelight. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. 
But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.